Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of book 4 titled The Captive of Our Law. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. What do we do, Master? queried Vigo. This is our hour. What do we do? We do what our God recruited us to do, replied Couvray. We kill the infant here in this elf's womb, and we kill this god, the god contained within this village, by killing every villager that chooses that god over rigor. For each has, for each are threats to rigor. We were right to come here, to hide away here, to await the arrival of Pasco and of Pinder here. For their god is foolish, foolish to reveal himself to the poor and weak. For how can these defend him? King Chase removed his blade and confronted the twenty-odd pilgrims armed with blades made toxic by the poisoned elf line. Be careful, urged Celeste. That poison they are armed with is the most vile, even for humans. King Chase chuckled. I find that elf line is more base when it affects those not touched by it, who only hear of its effects. No, I will disarm these thugs. I can't let them come away with any kind of victory. Certainly no victory over a god I, pr I prefer more to vile rigor, even if this god here is a, figment, is a figment. And the king lunged at the wall of tittering, wavering pilgrims. His slashing blade removed the head of Vigo. Then, with a sinister growl, his weapon connected with the hands of two others, those hands being separated from their bodies. The two pilgrims collapsed in the dust, whimpering over their misfortune. Go on, commanded Couvray, kneeling on the shoulders of the squirming, fighting elf Pasco. Surround him. He can't possibly defend himself against all twenty of, us, of you. Not if you all advance on him at once. Only one of you need land a blow. Kill him. The pilgrims, though shaken, concurred. They found confidence, then, their blades extended out in front of them, they silently surrounded the king. They spun like a slow-moving cog, with every one of them advancing a step or two, and methodically slashing with their blades. King Chase was undeterred. With a shout, he took a step, his weapon thrust out in front of him. There was a deft choreo choreography, a lethal dance, as he swept in and swirled. Driving the weapon in an arc, around and downward, he landed a blow to the torso of one pilgrim, before thrusting up, first left, then right. Two more bodies crumpled to the ground, each victim sighing, oddly welcoming their demise. Ha! was the laugh uttered by one cloaked pilgrim. He had come, to, he had come in close, then whispered hotly in the king's ear, You are most doomed, friend. King Chase quivered. He withdrew, his weapon falling by his side. He identified the knife, bloodied, as the pilgrim, beaming and openly cheering his success, himself took a step back. King Chase fell to his knees, dropping his weapon. His hands went to his waist, searching for the telltale wound, and holding his breath, anticipating the effects of the poison to swoop in on him, to generate such despair that he could not hope to overcome it. He was surprised to see the wizard Belfasor enter the closing circle. Throwing back pilgrims, 
tossing them aside, swatting them down as if they were troublesome gnats. Not a few of them landed their stingers on the enormous bulk, but the wizard did not respond to them. Only severely broke the arms of some, snapping the necks like twigs of others. Belfazor picked up King Chase and comforted him. He had trouble searching for the words to say. No need to worry. They have not cut you. They have cut me. The poison has no effect on those who do not know what it can do. And with their backs to one another, the king, having recovered his blade, and the wizard both spun and landed blows, defeating the pilgrims, killing them until only their slain bodies lay piled atop one another on the ground. Finally, they returned to silenced Kuvray, who continued to saddle the young teen Pasco. You may have succeeded, judged Kuvray. You may have won the first battle, but not the second, the one you needed to win. And with that said, Kuvray took his blade, dripping with the slime elf lime, and traced it down the elf's forehead, to the tip of her nose, to her chin, to her throbbing neck. Where will I strike you, I wonder, he pondered. Should I drive it into your throat? No, he slid the blade until he held it above her thrashing heart. How about here? Should I drive it into your heart? No. Kuvray sat back onto Pasco's heaving belly and said, No, I must not kill you. Rigor instructed me not to. No, he entrusted me with the elf lime. He wants you to suffer, Pasco. Like only an elf can suffer. No, I must not kill you. But what about your son? Should I kill your unborn son? Kuvray recovered his ugly smile. With all of its with all of his weight on the teen's elf teen elf's upper body, he turned around, mounted the teen, then inched the blade down past the girl's breasts, past her stomach, then hesitated just above her womb. Ha chortled Kuvray. Maybe kill your unborn son, hung? Should I kill your son? Oh, that would please my god rigor enormously. No, there would be one thing that would please him more, and that is having the opportunity of killing him himself. Celeste fell to her knees, weeping. Pilgrim Kuvray, my brother Kuvray, you have broken my heart. No, replied Kuvray, it wasn't me. Had your god only shown himself to me, maybe I would, have re would respect him. Respect him enough to serve alongside him, to love him. But your God doesn't exist. He would have rescued the villages that burned for him. He would have come here, to this village. He would have shown himself to me, to us. King Chase lunged at Kuvray, his weapon outstretched. But the pilgrim inserted the weapon, driving the blade, injecting the poison into the elven teen's bloodstream, tapping the soil, the soil, tapping the soul. Pinder collapsed. Howling, wounded, his hand went to Pascal's, but a pilgrim with a shaved head and loop earrings acknowledged frankly, Son, not dead, neither the mother. King Chase swooped in and landed a devastating blow to Kuvray. The wizard laid a heavy hand on the former mayor's shoulder, lifted him skyward and threw him violently several feet away. Kuvray laughed uproariously. What is this you do? Do you think you can kill me? My God has promised me immortality, 
immortality he has. Your God is most cruel, interjected a pilgrim with golden loop earrings and a shaved head. And so saying, he knelt, picked up the blade with the toxic elf lime, then touched Kuvre's soul with it. What is this I'm experiencing, wondered Kuvre. What is this fire that burns? What is this? Oh, this is despair. That, provoked the pilgrim with a shaved head and golden ear loop earling earrings. That is the elf lime. But how? My God has promised me health. He has, he has promised me immortality. Oh, you are immortal. Yes, there's no denying that. You will suffer the elf lime for an eternity. Your God has shown himself to you. And as Kuvre wailed and howled and wept, the pilgrim discarded the dagger that went skittering across the ground. Pinder knelt beside Pasco. The pain, it must be too much. Pasco only smiled. No, I do not know why, she replied, climbing to her feet. It has no effect on me, neither on our child. King Chase, his mouth ajar, lowered his own sword. He fell to his knees and bowed his head. Do you fear your God? asked the pilgrim. I do, I do, replied the king of the Wuktu. The pilgrim gently graced the top crop of hair atop the man's head, then knelt and cradled the crook of the king's arm and lifted him to his feet. An army awaits its leader, a nation awaits its king, assured the pilgrim. The kingdom of the Wuktu is born, today, now. Tell me where my army is, that I might defend your will. Go out into the world. Do not tire. Do not lose hope. Along the road you take, your army will grow. You will not see it. You will despair. You will invoke your power as king. You will prove arrogant. You will stumble. But that will be your last act as a free man, and your first act as king. Now go, for the battle that will consume this village must not involve you. And as the pilgrim, with the shaved head and golden loop earrings, uttered this last word, flashes of light erupted all along the border, throughout the north wood, surrounding Bloody Tunic. The sapling elven archers had arrived. Just as abruptly as the lights flashed just outside the village, arrows bringing fire descended out of the sky, landing and igniting the thatched roofs of houses, piercing and slaying the scrambling pilgrims, the village of Bloody Tunic, would soon cease to be. Come, Pinder stuck out each hand. We haven't any time left. And the elf took Pascal and King Chase. I will escort you along the periphery, along the fiery road between both worlds. It's a dangerous path, an uncertain road, but the elves must not know where we are. With a flash, the three disappeared, a whiff of ozone in the air. Celeste ran up and grabbed the nameless pilgrim by the wrist. She bur burrowed into his cloaked shoulder. Why must this happen, she demanded. She refused to look the pilgrim in the eye, only wailed plaintively, Why? The pilgrim only brought her close to comfort her. He whispered gently, earnestly, Yours is not to question why. Yours is only to ask how. Celeste continued weeping. Is my God dead then? The pilgrim gripped the, the child firmly. 
and wiped the tears from off of the one mother's cheeks, then replied, Yes, the God you knew, the God you served, he is dead. Are you brave enough to allow this that to happen? No, she admitted frankly, bitterly. The pilgrim stated, Buddy Tunic will cease to be. All your hard work is for naught. You will be captured, held captive in front of a conquering army. Your cause, your religion, is now de defunct. And when your God does reveal himself to you for the last time, on the day you will die, you must deny him. Are you prepared to do, to do that for your God? I'm not like that. I'm not that brave. Your God has seen something in you, something you have not seen in yourself. Something more. Will you do this for the sake of your God? I guess I must. I will leave you now, my child, but take heart, for you will see me again. And with that said, the pilgrim with the shaved head and golden loop earrings ran in the opposite direction, out of the village square, and soon disappeared. Celeste came up to Belfasor. The two watched silently as Kuvray writhed and contorted in pain. The wizard confirmed, I don't know what you expect. I may be powerful. I may have strengths. But from the looks of things, I can't hold off all these troops forever. Belthasaur created a, a ball of orange flame. After he mustered it, infusing it with great power, he released it. It slammed into a legion of onrushing, overflowing, swiftly consuming troops. There were cries of pain and grief as the soldiers broke ranks and scattered. Celeste was despondent. I thought I was doing the right thing, but it turns out I was not. My village will burn. My pilgrims will die. I must live the rest of my life saying my God never existed and die at the point of my victor's sword. I must do all this for the sake of a God who refuses to allow me to uphold him. He must think very highly of you, confided the wizard. He allowed another ball of flame to strengthen in his grip, enough to well, ultimately, allow you to sit at his right hand. And he released the ball of flame. It barreled into a sizable contingent of goblins, squealing the beasts through their notched weapons and retreated for the cover of the woods. Celeste wiped her nose with the heel of her palm. No, if it should come to that, I'll refuse that place by his side. Celeste prompted the wizard after he unleashed several more bolts of lightning. Go, there's nothing worth dying for here, not anymore. Goodbye, child, relayed the wizard, and channeling a couple more balls of flame into the cadres of troops seeping in from all around Bloody Tunic, the wizard turned, awkwardly embraced the teen, then ran south out of the village. It took only twenty minutes for those frights serving Sanford and Rigor and Unge of the Northwood to permeate all of Bloody Tunic. They closed finally on the village square and surrounded a kneeling, crying, dejected one mother. Unge smiled. Now I will be made a mayor of my own village for sure. Sanford grunted. My son was here. This magic is his land handiwork. He will know where I can find the two treacherous elves. Rigor snarled. 
I'm beginning to think you are leading me astray. What do you say to that? Sanford took a step back, grumbling and hissing. You should have chosen suicide, relayed rigor, looking her over. But the God sees things in people I do not. He doesn't see me for who I am, replied Celeste. Maybe not, answered Rigger. Sanfred chortled, we have tasted blood here today. And he motioned for his troops to subdue and harness the woman. Bertle sat on the edge of the, of the throne dais, weary, subdued, near tears. There were assembled twelve lieutenants before him, the leadership of the guard, responsible for defending the walls and the gates from besieging troops. What is the news? asked the former captain of the guard, miserable and forlorn. Twelve hundred dwarves march for Sturm, a week out, soldiers from Brendel. They have received news that King Trindels is dead, I am assured. I know those who march on Sturm, only the most base killers. Those who refuse every oath dwarves take to refuse to shed the blood of brethren. These dwarves will treat us as king killers. They will kill our families in front of us. They will torture us. How is it that the city I was born in, the city I helped build, the city I did defend on a number of occasions, and the city I now govern must be besieged, and that by a bunch of dwarves? Twelve lieutenants said nothing only kept their heads lowered, frowning, their shoulders slumped. We had three Brendelites in our city. Three Brendelites that, despite my command, that not one foreigner be allowed within these walls. Now they have removed, now they have returned to their king to tell of the death of King Trindale. So tell me how was that allowed to happen? Tell me. The twelve lieutenants said nothing, only continued to look at their feet, trembling and swaying. Bertel scowled. They got in the city, past the walls, past all our defenses, and that despite the twelve of you, you failed me. One of you, and I pray it was only one of you, looked the other way, while these three got past our walls. These three were allowed to escape before I could extract any valuable intel from them. So, the question is, who was it? Who has killed me? Come on, start talking. There was grumbling and mumbling, but no one was forthright within, with any information. The captain of the guard was outraged. Finally, he raised a bejeweled hand. Thokil, Thokil the Elder, do come forward, please. The twelve lieutenants winced at the mention of the lead guard's name. Thokil the Elder was notorious for his enthusiasm with torture and his undying loyalty to his superiors, including the captain of the guard. Even Thokil the Younger, Thokil's son, from among the twelve lieutenants, knew to fear him. Thokil the Elder padded softly across the smooth stone floor. Once he stood beside the dejected Bertle, he put his thumbs into his belt. He rocked on the heels of his feet 
and chewed on a toothpick as he surveyed the twelve lieutenants. You know the drill, my second-in-command, stated the warden Bertle. Use every means at your disposal. Whoever says something about himself, kill immediately. They all harp on and on about themselves, refusing to give the others up. That's useless. As for those who offer up the names of others, tell them how that benefited you, lead guard. Thokla the Elder, still rocking on the heels of his feet, answered, That is what allowed me to become your second in command. Go on, Thokla the Elder, instructed Bertle. Take these twelve to a place more conducive to your methods. And I don't have to tell you this. Go with your son first. You will torture him, and you will kill him. Maybe he shouldn't have come... Maybe he shouldn't have urged you to come to the king to allow him to be made a lieutenant. Maybe he should have killed you a long time ago. Maybe he should have killed me even sooner. Now go. Thokla the Elder did not once or shudder, only removed his shining axe from its leather harness and balanced it in the palm of his, well, in his palm as he trailed the twelve lieutenants as they exited the royal throne room and made their way along corridors and downstairs. Eventually, the thirteen arrived at a chamber few apparently accessed that opened onto a stair that burrowed into the snowy peak nearby. It was past midnight. The moon shone brightly, and a brisk cold wind came in from out of the west. Where are we? barked the dwarf Sertle. I'm a dwarf charged with defending the walls of Sturm. I must know every access point, every vulnerability in the city that I serve, that I am willing to lay down my life for. Yet... I do not know of the existence of these stairs. Who is it is to blame? Thokol the Elder said nothing, only sidled up behind the outspoken Sertle and threw him off the wall. To the overgrown rocky um, land hundreds of feet below, his echoing wail ended abruptly. That was the wrong question to ask insisted the lead guard. What do you say? You may ask me any question you want. Only know that if I don't like it, it will result in negative consequences. Laryl queried, Are you telling us we and our families can escape, that we can leave Sturm, and that with our lives intact? No, replied Thoku the Elder. I'm not telling you that at all. I'm telling you something else. Something, apparently, you won't want to listen to. And so saying, the lead guard stepped up behind the dwarf Laryl and threw him off the wall as well. The ten others stood silent, wary, as a chilly wind ravaged them. I've had enough of your tyranny, clamored the son Thoko the younger. He quickly lunged at his father and ripped the axe free from his hands, wrenching violently the man's arms. The lead guard stumbled and fell. The lieutenant stood over him, breathing hard, while keeping his eyes on the others for fear one might run off and tell of these stairs. Brittle will let us live, persuaded Corkle. 
If we go to him, if we tell him of these stairs, if we tell him of your father's betrayal, he'll let us live. What do you say, Thoko the Younger? Thoko the Younger planted the blade in the stone floor and leaned heavily on the axe handle. Finally, he responded decidedly, No, and with that, he lifted his weapon and struck Corkal in the chest. The dwarf sighed and crumpled and died. Thoko violently dislodged his weapon and stood over the bloody corpse. He then said, Bertel's reign will soon end. You should have chosen wiser who to trust. Had he not threatened my life, maybe things would turn out differently. He turned to the, the father. He turned to his father, who was nursing his bruised limbs. Well, father, what, you, what would you have me do with you? And that concludes episode five of book four, the captive of Erlo. Thanks for listening, and I'll have another episode available next week. Goodbye for now.